in the WOR Sports Zone. Mets Spring Training Report. Uh, Mets uh, a loss today, 7 6 to the Marlins. Matt Harvey, the eight strikeouts, five innings of work, did allow three runs. We bring on right now Nelson Figueroa, uh, outstanding analyst for SNY. And uh, Nelson, great to have you on the show again. How you doing? I'm doing well, Pete. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, you had some time in Florida. Tough uh, coming back up here. Oh, God. <laughs> Indeed. I had a bomb cyclone. I've had some, you know, polar vortexes and everything else. I'm actually going down next week to uh, get some firsthand looks at the team from inside and out and uh, nice. get a better feel of uh, what's going to come up north. Hopefully no bomb cyclones in Florida. You stay away from that. They save that for the uh, the summer months. You know, we had uh, Stephen Matz uh, on the show earlier. It's been, you know, kind of a... Yeah, a rough spring record-wise overall, five fifteen and two at this point in the spring. I asked, uh, I asked Stephen about it. <clears throat> he didn't sound too concerned. That's uh, that's kind of what he offered up. But like, does it matter five fifteen and two? Does that uh, you know? Does that matter in any way, shape, or form to you? I mean, the wins, of course, when you can have them and look at them and say, oh, look, we're, we're playing well and we're winning ball games. And But if the fact of the of reality was that it was, you know, the minor league kids are winning ball games and beating the other minor league uh, teams that are out there for a majority of the games right now, then, yeah, you could sit there and, and boast about it and the average fan would be like, oh, look, the team's doing so well. Mm-hmm. So when you the reality of it is that the, the full lineup is not playing yet. Uh, guys are starting to get stretched out finally, the starters. There's a lot of minor league guys that they're taking a look at that they don't really know too well and guys are trying to uh, win jobs uh, those guys are being put into different situations to see how they react but overall no you can't put too much onus on spring training numbers especially the record because again a lot of those games are ending with numbers 88 and higher so we can blame Tebow <laughs> yeah, the Tebow effect is real. I think uh, you know him coming up with bases loaded a couple of times. It's fun for the fans, and the yeah. fans again give him a standing ovation every time up there. But uh, it's really not his job to uh, win ball games for the Mets. Yeah, stick to the NFL playoff games, Tim. Uh, we're, we're talking right now with Nelson Figueroa with SNY right now. Uh, you know, overall for the pitchers, I mean, the really good news is everybody is healthy right now. Jacob Degrom isn't on track to start opening day, but he'll be ready uh, soon after that first turn through the rotation so they could still get the 30-plus starts out of him. Uh, Who do you think has had the best spring training, the most impressive spring training of that group? I mean, it's hard to not be impressed with Noah Syndergaard. This is a guy who came off of injury for the first time in his career and, you know, hitting 101 on the gun and yet being able to dial it down has been the most impressive part because they've been trying to get him to do that for three years, not trying to throw so hard, using his breaking ball a little bit more, pitching a little bit more backwards. And, uh, you know, the results have been really nice to see a guy. And I think really, if you look at the whole staff, uh, Noah definitely is the most impressive pitcher they have. Uh, There's nobody else like him in baseball. Um, but when you look at the whole staff, really trying to work on what you know Dave Island and Mickey have gotten them to buy into, using their fastballs more, pitching inside more, and not having to rely on going slider heavy. You know, it was very impressive years in the, in the years past when these guys would strike out eight, nine, ten batters, but they were so slider reliant and not looking to get deeper in the ball games, not getting quicker outs, things like that. So I'm seeing them at least trying to do a lot more of that in spring training. And, you know, there's been some mixed results. Again, a guy like Steven Matz, who, you know, two starts ago, he got hit around. But when you looked at the quality of the hits, it was a couple broken bats, a couple mm-hmm. bloop shots. And, you know, you want a guy that's going to go out there and challenge guys in the strike zone and not walk a lot. 
he unfortunately was walking people, and that led to the bigger innings. But I think these guys are starting to get a different uh, – there's a different mentality now that there's a, a new regime in town. And how about Syndergaard? You touched on it at the top that he you know, has dialed it down a bit, and he still had success. He's still striking guys out. Is that something that – for some guys, even if it is spring training, the light bulb goes off that, hey, I don't have to throw every single pitch as hard as I possibly can. Yeah, I mean, you can go from Syndergaard, who, again, when he dials it down from 100, it's, you know, 98, 97. And it's funny because he doesn't have that max effort type uh, deal where every ball is kind of being thrown almost to the backstop. It, he's not that kind of guy. He's a guy who can pitch comfortably between 97 and 100 and sit there comfortably not overexerting himself now when you turn the page from him and you see somebody kind of dialing it down or having to work with less matt harvey has actually looked a lot better looked a lot more comfortable not trying to dial it up we saw some 96s from him today and at the same time i saw some 91s and 92s that i was impressed with because of the action on the ball the late life on the ball guys hitting the ball to the right side of the field the righty handed hitters hitting the balls to the right side of the field that tells you it's not a normal 91 92 mile an hour fastball it's getting the job done and getting it out even though it's not overpowering if you had to guess matt harvey's era this year you know what what range would you peg it at Oh, it was funny because I was on Twitter arguing with Michael Barron about this because he was saying how if he had a three and a half to four ERA, it'd be a really nice year. And then I had to let him know that in the major leagues, a three and a half makes you one of the top 20 pitchers in all of baseball. And a four ERA makes you one of the top 30 pitchers in all of baseball. So you kind of have to dial that down a little bit more. I would like to see him somewhere between the four and a half and four range, which again, a quality starter is six innings, three runs. That's a quality start. That's a four and a half ERA. Guys were getting paid and valued because, of course, they were throwing 200 innings at the same time. Now, where you're dialing down the innings, I'm looking for him to be able to do that kind of six innings, three runs or less, and have more brilliant outings than not having as many, uh, you know, or horrible outings that he had like last year. So I think he can sit comfortably with somewhere between a 4-2 ERA and lower. I can say 4-2 it would be a high end for him with the way he's pitching now and very using his change up a lot more and getting a lot more ground ball outs. That's been an impressive part for me. Yeah, I mean, I talked about it a couple of segments ago. 4-2 is the exact number I said. That would be the perfect ERA for him. Let me ask you this. Do you still hold out hope? Because I know a lot of the fan base does that there's still that ceiling that's even, you know, close to what he was pre Tommy John 2015, you know, that Matt Harvey, the, the dark night Matt Harvey that I, I think a lot of people still hope to see. Well, the dark night Matt Harvey, I, again, I, I haven't, we haven't seen a full season of that dark night Matt Harvey of the unhittable stuff. And it wasn't, it wasn't close to Dwight Gooden type stuff and numbers. I mean, I think everybody seems to think that he was unhittable and he was, you know, Justin Verlander flirting with a no-hitter every other game. We didn't, I didn't ever see that guy. I never saw that guy. And even after the surgeries, the 2015 version of Matt Harvey was plenty. I mean, you saw a guy who could still pump that fastball in the upper part of the strike zone, still had a good enough slider to get away from it, but he was became more of a two-pitch pitcher. After the second surgery, now all of a sudden he's going to have to become a three-four pitch pitcher and move the ball around a little bit differently than he has in the past. And I think that's going to make him an even better pitcher. I always liken it to Oral Hershiser. Oral Hershiser put up 51, 52 straight scoreless innings. That wasn't a fluke. He was well prepared each and every time out. He had that little cheat sheet in his back pocket because
because he wanted to make sure he wasn't going to make a mistake to the hitter if he didn't know exactly how he wanted to pitch him. Matt Harvey's going to have to prepare that way. He's going to have to know these hitters inside and out and how to attack them. And there are areas that you can attack and areas to avoid. If he can do that, then you're going to see a guy who's not – I'm not looking for a serviceable major league pitcher. I'm looking for a guy that when he is on – like you saw today, he had eight strikeouts mm-hmm. in only five innings. I can't remember the last time he had eight strikeouts in a ball game. So that, to me, is a very promising sign that he still has the ability to strike people out with less than the Dark Knight stuff, and it can be done. I think a lot of us had done it in the major league level, level without having Dark Knight type stuff. No, definitely. And we'll, we'll get into. I want to do one more picture, then we'll get into some of the other fun stuff at the Mets as we chat with Nelson Figaro of SNY right now. Uh, about Zach Wheeler, he's lighting up the radar gun. He's been healthy throughout this spring. It looks like he's on the outside looking in on the rotation spot. The numbers haven't really followed, but has he impressed you this spring? Uh, you know what? For him to impress me, it's going to be more of a how well can he adapt? How well can he take on a new role, a new challenge? Um, you can say to your blue in the face, you want to be a starter. You've always been a starter. You've always been a starter. But while the fact is, is that you've had more time on the DL than you have in a major league uniform, that has to change. And I think if he kind of buys into the role that they can find for him. I could see him being a very effective seventh inning guy. And again, if you want to get stretched out, you might have to go to triple a, there's no, there's no shame in wanting to be stretched out and be ready and anything of that nature. But if you're going to fight the fact that you may have to be a seventh inning guy and be a guy that can be a very valuable seventh inning guy to move the ball to the back end of that bullpen so that they can, you know, pile up some wins and, and be in a playoff hunt then not everybody's going to have a chance to start. But I do think the Mets are going to be a little bit smarter about using the 10-day DL, about using a sixth starter every now and then. And so in that case, I think he should kind of stay ready, be pushed all the way and stretched out in spring training so that he does feel like he can do either job. And I think uh, he could be a very nice addition to that bullpen if he – puts his mentality to it as well. But once you put him in there, that's it, right? He's a bullpen arm, and then you're not moving him back and forth with his history? Well, you don't want to. You wouldn't like to. Again, the reason he would have to go back and forth is there was another injury. Yeah. He inserted back in. So you would kind of hope for him to really catch on to this role and, and flourish in it. I mean, Wade Davis, Andrew Miller, those guys were all starters who were not very good as starters. They were guys who couldn't go three times through the lineup. They were guys who were wild. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between being effectively wild as a reliever, being unpredictable as a reliever, and dominating those three hitters that you have to face. And I think they cashed in very nicely on that role, whereas they could have been below-average starters who never really amounted to much. Those guys are two of the most valuable reliever arms in the game. I said a, a couple of quick hitters as far as the position players go as we chat with Nelson Figueroa. First base, you worried about that spot for the Mets? Uh, not really worried. Not really worried. When you have a veteran guy who's done it for years and years and years, and yes, he's coming off his first season in his career of having injuries and being on the DL. Um, you know, when I saw him down in spring training and talked with him, uh, you know, he felt like he figured out exactly what was wrong and, and he addressed it during his offseason workouts. The numbers haven't been there for him as of yet. He made an adjustment to his swing over the last few days. He was two for three in his last game at the big league level. I guess he went to the minor league side today just to get a ton of at-bats. And he was five for eight today hitting the ball. He felt much harder than he had, you know, the previous two weeks in camp. All right. Uh, are you a believer in what Kevin Ploiecki is doing behind the plate? Um, behind the plate, uh, you know, he's always his, he 
was always going to be a guy who was going to be able to challenge Darno with the pitch framing. I like the game calling aspect a little bit more than Darno. Darno kind of relied upon Dan Worthen a little bit too much, um, you know, with with the game plan and not recognizing when things are starting to go wrong. It, it, I always hated that it kind of spiraled out of control you know, two, three batters too late before he went out to talk to uh, the pitcher or, or, you know, get a visit with the pitching coach or anything like that. So I like what Fulecki is doing. I like, I think he's believing in himself. He has a lot of confidence out there. He looks like a totally different player than he did just a year ago because he realizes that it's probably going to be a split job. And, you know, if he plays himself into a role, he could take away the starting job mm-hmm. if he's able to do uh, the way that he's been hitting and, and, and catching back there. Still got to be able to throw runners out at second base. That's going to yeah. be the biggest key. I like that he gave Syndergaard a kick in the butt a couple of starts ago. I mean, that's that's meaningful. That tells you something, no? Oh, yeah. No, that's that's without a doubt. I remember when he first came up, he was kind of hesitant to yeah. even go out there. And even, you know, a guy like Bartolo Colon, it's like, okay, he's got one pitch. Yeah, everybody knows he has one pitch. The other team already knows he's going to throw the same pitch over and over again. But at certain times, is you have to break the rhythm of the hitters, break mm-hmm. the break a rally. There's things that a catcher can do that he wasn't really prepared for coming up for the first time that I hope that he's grown into a little bit more. And I saw some of that last year, you know, in August and September, working with some of the younger pitchers and having to go out there a little bit more and just to stay on the same page. I think he's he's matured a lot more over the past season than uh, I think we give him credit for. Quiet camp for Ahmed Rosario. Your thoughts on what you've seen this spring from him? This is a former number one prospect. Yeah, I know. It's crazy to think that, you know, everybody's expecting lightning bolts or some kind of magical thing where he can, you know, ride on a rainbow or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> you have to do something that's otherworldly because, you know, you get guys now that come into the league. You know, you, you get a guy like uh, Bellinger for the Dodgers who wasn't a first, you know, number one prospect sure. overall. He hit 35 home runs. Well, everybody's like, okay, well, then Rosario should be hitting 40 home runs. <laughs> he's not built that way. He's young. He's talented. He's wiry. So he's kind of Jose Reyes light at this point. Again, he gets to hitting those line drives the other way, starts getting some balls in the gap. You'll see the triples start to mount. Um, His defense is really, really good. But again, as a young player, he's going to make mistakes. It's how quickly he can learn from those mistakes and avoid doing them again. We saw some growth last year. Um, Did you see anything to go wow about? Not really. But I think after getting his first taste and getting comfortable at the major league level, I'm expecting much bigger things for him. I think he can easily hit 20 home runs and and, and put up a, a nice 265 to 270 batting average. It's nothing to go wow about, yeah. but I think that's kind of a nice base for him and without putting too much pressure on him. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing the defense. Uh, that'll be a, a breath of fresh air for a full season for this Mets team. Finally, Brandon Nimmo, center field. You give him that job right now? I think opening day, it looks like, uh, you know, Carlos Martinez, I think, is slated for the for the uh, Cardinals, so that's a righty. And as, if a platoon is what they're looking for, Brandon Nimmo has earned every right to uh, be the starting center fielder. Um, he does everything you want in the leadoff position, almost to a fault. Drives me crazy when he takes the 3-2 fastballs down the middle, yeah. where he thinks they're, you know, they're a ball down or a ball out, and the umpire disagrees. The umpires never lose. The umpires have never lost that battle, and he has to learn that. He Mm -hmm. has to learn how to foul off a pitch. Even if it's not your best swing, it's not your A swing, if you foul off a pitch and then get your A swing ready for the next one, you don't let that ball or that possibility of striking out looking happen. Um, But he has done everything that you could ask of him. Uh, I really like him and and his ability to get on, and he's a different – 
different. He, I think he changes that lineup a little bit when he's at the top of it. All right, uh, Nelson Figueroa, dodging bomb cyclones and such up here with the rest of us, but you'll be uh, in Florida with the group in the not-too-distant future, and uh, we look forward to seeing more of you on SNY. Thanks for the time, Nelson. Thank you, Pete. Talk to you later. All right, be good. Nelson Figueroa of SNY. We'll talk about some of what he had to say. I mean, real interesting on Zach Wheeler, I thought, and uh, you know, obviously he knows the pitching in and out. Has seen all these starts for these guys over the years. Uh, so that's when we come back. Uh, it is also, we usually do T-shirt Tuesday. We're doing T-shirt Thursday this week because we had a Mets game Tuesday. We're only an hour with you. So we want to give away more Mets T-shirts. You call into the show. You get on the air. You get yourself a free Mets T-shirt, 800-321-0710. Again, 800-321-0710. We'll keep you updated on the NCAA tournament all night as well. It's the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710-WOR. We're back in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. I can chat with Nelson Figueroa of SNY. I thought it was interesting uh, as far as Zach Wheeler goes. And, you know, that's something we've talked about plenty over the years. Would Wheeler be better as a reliever? And he, he does profile there with how hard he throws. And, and you can point to a number of starting pitchers that transition to the bullpen uh, throughout the league. And you could see, I could see Zach Wheeler having a lot of success there. I just I feel that once you make that move, you're not going back and forth with a guy with his uh you know physical history. And even with guys that are relatively healthy, it's different being a, a starting pitcher versus pitching out of a bullpen, especially if you know you're not the long man and you know, hey, go eat up these innings and you know try to give us four because the starter got knocked out in the second inning. No, that that's not that different. But if you're coming in in pressure situations in the seventh inning, you're being asked to throw as hard as you can to you know add a couple miles per hour to your fastball, right? Your max effort at that point relieving, and and that's a different job. Uh, you know, forget about just the back to backs. It's different. You know, stress on your arm that you have to build up for, and going back and forth. That it doesn't work. There aren't that many guys that have the rubber arms who can you know, handle that. And you know, Zach Wheeler and a lot of these Mets pitchers, unfortunately, we certainly know by now. You know, there's not a whole lot of rubber arms. So, you know, for Wheeler, if you want to put him in the bullpen, well, that's fine, but that's permanent to me, and that's why I wouldn't do it. Uh, I, I would send him to AAA, and you hope Wheeler handles it well, stays ready, stays stretched out. Somebody's going to get hurt eventually. You're going to have a need for a starting pitcher at some point, and then you have Wheeler ready to go, and you plug him in. Uh, but you still haven't seen him be you know, super productive for a long period of time. He pitched well the first month or two last year, and then maybe he was fighting injury, uh, but his uh, effectiveness waned. Uh, but, you know, even though his ERA is not great so far this spring, I've been impressed. He's hitting 98 miles per hour on the gun. It looks like he's physically capable, and to have that as an extra starter, as a, you know, a number six, as a guy that comes in when someone goes down, I think you feel good about that. Again, as long as he reacts well, uh, to potentially, you know, going down to Las Vegas. And, and like we talked about earlier when we had Matt's on the show, uh, Matt's, you know, would be ahead of Wheeler in that competition right now. I think it's still open to change in the final two weeks, but, you know, Matt's is the leg up. Uh, 800-321-0710. Give away some t-shirts. You call into the show. You get on the air. You get yourself a free Matt's shirt. We usually do it Tuesdays. We're doing it Thursday this week because we don't have as much time with you on Tuesdays. So we mix it up sometimes. But, uh, Bob in Valley Cottage. How are we doing? Bob. Okay, good. Good. What's going on? I'm I'm just trying to uh, see what's happening with what uh who's the five 
five best guys to start. Yeah, the rotation right now is going to be Syndergaard and DeGrom at the top. And then you're going to have probably Vargas or Harvey start that third game. The other one will start the fourth. And I think Matt's is the edge over Wheeler right now for that fifth spot in the rotation. So I think it it's pretty simple the way it, it breaks down right now. Somebody gets hurt, then Wheeler's in. And and that's what you're looking at these uh, final two weeks of, of the spring. Jimmy in East Windsor. How are we doing, Jimmy? Hey, how you doing, Pete McCarthy? Long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, nice to hear it. What's going on? Hey, brother, listen, uh, what are you hearing uh, from Mike Comforto uh, to come back, uh, general time frame, and what are we looking at? How much of a major impact is he going to be if he gets into the lineup? May 1st has been the date put on him since this offseason. He seems to be a little bit ahead of that, but I haven't heard the timetable sped up. So maybe you can get him back the final week of April, but uh, they're not going to rush him. Uh, They're going to be careful with him. He's going to get into some games next week uh, in the Grapefruit League, which is a great sign. And and we'll see how he fares, how the shoulder uh, recovers from, you know, actually swinging full strength at a a real pitch or, you know, the first time he has to check swing, you know, those kinds of things that happen in a a not controlled environment like batting practice. So those, those are the tests for Conforto, which is why I I still think it's going to be another you know, a month plus until you see him with the big league team. But I still have high hopes for him. I don't think this is the kind of injury that he's not the same player anymore. I think that this is a guy who could go out, who can hit 320, who can hit 25 to 30 home runs. And he was on pace to be even better than that last year. But I I think he's a stud. I think he's the best hitter on this team when he's healthy. So if you were Mickey Calloway, where would you put him in the lineup? We were playing with this yesterday and – because if you're going to have Nimmo one, you can argue, um, you know, for Cespedes two to you know break up the lefty righty, make it lefty righty. Yeah. But uh, I like Conforto two and Cespedes three, and you know you have two lefties at the top. But I think Conforto is better in that second spot and uh, Cespedes three. That's why I'd rather see it play out. It's also possible they just have Conforto lead off and Cespedes two. I think that'll depend on how well Nimmo plays and if they have a, a true leadoff hitter, which it looks like they might. Yeah, I'm just just a little concerned about who's going to protect Cespedes in that lineup. You know, Bruce the back cleanup. Bruce, yeah. Yeah, and that's that sounds. Uh, yeah, that sounds like it, it could be a winner. Yeah, and that's what it is. And you know, it's not. Uh, you know, I don't think Bruce is an all star. He's not an all star backing up Cespedes, but he's enough of a threat that you're not going to be walking Cespedes or seeing Cespedes get walked every time he's up. And if you start to see that, then you got to switch it up. And that'll be something that the Mets have to look at and see how it plays out. And that's something that Sandy Alderson acknowledged. They want Cespedes to hit second. Uh, on opening day, but Cespedes has to be comfortable with that. They have to see how it actually plays out and if teams are pitching to Cespedes. So, you know, all that stuff is is up in the air, but if you look at the numbers, the stats, you want your best hitter hitting second more often than not. On the opening day roster, Cespedes will be the best hitter. And then I still have extreme high hopes for Michael Conforto. Uh, that's a, you know, a big X factor for the Mets that he bounces back. We would argue last summer about would you rather have Michael Conforto or Aaron Judge? And nobody's arguing that in the winter, but I really thought last summer Conforto is the guy you'd rather have. Now, you know, the shoulder does give you pause and Conforto's not going to be a 50 homer guy, but Conforto's that good when he is right. 
It's a shame how he was handled. You know, the couple of years uh, before, you know, he got the full time opportunity last year, and he was up and down the minors, and he did struggle at the big league level. But he just he needed to work it out, and he finally gets the opportunity last year because Lagaris got hurt a week before opening day, and he ran with it, and he was their only All Star, and by far the best player the Mets had on the field last year. And and that's still what he could be. He still has that ability. Um, you know, again, he's not going to be a fifty homer guy. We don't have to compare him to Aaron Judge anymore. But he could be a special player for the Mets. And when we you know talk about hey, everything goes right for the Mets, what are they capable of? He's one of those big guys that you point to. Where all right, if, if the shoulder doesn't come back and he's not an impact player, that's how the Mets end up at seventy something wins again. But if he plays at an all-star level, which he's more than capable of. You know, now you have a much rosier outlook for the Mets. and they, they just have a lot of players like that, from Conforto to Cespedes to just about all of the starting pitchers to you know what Jairus Familia could be in the bullpen. they got a ton of guys that have really high ceilings and really low floors. You just don't really know what you're going to end up with. And that's part of the fun of it, I guess, where... You can, uh, you know, hope if everything goes right, boom, it's 2015 all over. The chances of that happening, though, aren't aren't great. They're not as predictable as, say, the Cubs or the Nationals. Those teams, I think you know, when you look up in October, they're going to be in it. And then they're playing the crapshoot that is the playoffs, but they'll be at that point. The Mets, you know, they, they need to catch these breaks, and uh, they're capable. 800-321-0710. Again, 800-321-0710. Call into the show. Get on the air. You get yourself a free Mets t-shirt. Uh, we do this uh, every Tuesday night, usually, but doing it on a Thursday tonight. Again, we'll get you all caught up on what's happening in the NCAA tournament. Villanova's got a huge lead on Radford right now. Seton Hall was able to win earlier tonight. I own a loss to Duke, so uh, what's happening with a couple of the locals in the tournament? Uh, LIU, of course, got knocked out uh, this past week in the first four. That was sad to see. But, uh, yeah, now Radford's getting smoked by Villanova, and that's uh, that's who knocked off uh, LIU, Brooklyn. So a uh, little little revenge there, perhaps. But uh, we'll take a quick break. Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. We're back in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. All right, 800-321-0710. Call into the show. Get on the air. You get yourself a free Mets t-shirt. 800-321-0710. The number, once again. Talk a lot of Mets tonight. Two weeks until opening day. Steven Matz couldn't believe it. I can't really believe it, but it's happening. We're getting there. One bomb cyclone, nor'easter, or whatever at a time uh, approaching opening day. And this is about the time where... Yeah, the spring training, eh, it's it's nice. You, you get the NCAA tournament to distract, give you some sports for a while, and then when you catch your break, your breath after uh, the NCAA tournament, boom, it'll be opening day and time to time to start it all up. And it is a little different this year. Not that Monday opening day that you're used to. It'll be a, a Thursday afternoon in March against the Cardinals as they extended the schedule a little bit. They added four days to it uh, at the front end they get some extra days off over the course of the year don't have to play 20 consecutive days and you know keep themselves uh, a little better rested and you would help i hope they get to play more games now too where you know now you don't have to get that day off let's say a sunday afternoon after a sunday saturday night game because you're going to have that day off on, on monday coming up more often than not so hopefully you get to see more of the best players in baseball actually playing uh, when you go out to the ballpark. Let's grab some uh, more calls, 800-321-0710. Rich in Jersey. How are we doing tonight, Rich? 
I'm good, Pete. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was calling about David Wright. I heard he's pushed back from baseball activities for about another two months, and I was just wondering if you could see possibly him returning after the All-Star break and maybe them working him out a little bit at first base. I guess he'll give it a shot. Uh, The first base thing, you have to practice a lot to learn a new position, and how does he have the ability to get the reps necessary to learn a new spot? That's what I worry about at first base. You know, for other guys... Yeah, they could go out, take a bunch of ground balls, take a bunch of throws over there at first base, and you know maybe in a couple weeks they start to feel comfortable there. David Wright can't put in that kind of practice time with the back issues that he has. So I don't see that as a great option for him. And really, any return at all would be a surprise to me. Uh, I hope that he gets back, even if it's just for one game. Even if he just plays, you know, the last day of the season or you know one Sunday at some point gets to tip his cap. But I, I hope he gets some kind of moment that could provide some closure. But beyond that, unfortunately, th- there have just been too many bumps in the road and, and too many issues to realistically think that he's going to be a factor for this team. Yeah, I know it'd be a, it'd be a great story for him to make that comeback again. But yeah, I'm rooting for him too. So. Yeah, you have to root for him. And thanks for calling in, Rich. And you know, for um, you know, for Wright, even you know, talked the other day, and he said the same thing he's always said. He wants to be able to put his head on the the pillow at night, and you know, feel good that he made every effort possible to get back out there on the field. Uh, and you know, he's he's going about that. You you can't deny him that much. Multiple surgeries this off season. I mean, he, he could have walked away by now, but he keeps um, you know plugging along, trying. Somehow, some way to get out there. And it was sad, you know, hearing someone we had to say that, you know, he feels useless uh, sometimes because he can't contribute to the team besides, you know, just kind of hanging around with the guys or being able to talk to someone who, you know, needs a little advice. But it's been a long time since he's played. And even to try to be a leader on the team, you got to play a little bit in order to have that kind of role. So you see, even, you know, that role is starting to dry up and, you know, you become more of a coach than a player before you know it when you go that long without uh, without getting out there. Ted in Jersey. How are we doing, Ted? Sorry, Pete. How are you tonight? Good, good. What's up? Thanks for taking my call. I'd like to address the Mets catching uh, position because I find it to be an important position. And I think the two guys that they have, to me, they hit the ball well at the end of the year when his minor league is coming up and in spring training when – you know, minor league is sometimes a pitching, uh, but major league level, I don't think either one of them um, really deserve to be a starter. And I think they should address this problem in the off season. What do you think? I lo- I want to see Blawecki. Uh, I do. I I thought it was. I understand what you're saying. He did most of his damage in September. Went often. It's a bunch of call ups. But I was impressed with what I saw, and I hadn't seen that kind of player before. We had always heard, you know, Blawecki was a prospect uh, when he was coming up through the pike, but he. He never really looked apart. He finally did in September. He does in spring training. He's got more of a presence about him now where, you know, he's willing to say something to Cindergaard during his spring training game. Hey, get it together, you know, or make this adjustment. Whatever he said to Cindergaard that Cindergaard complimented him for after the game and Cindergaard went out and struck out seven in a row after that. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff you want to see behind the plate. I'm very curious to see what Ploiecki could do. Uh, I think that's 
you know, one of the big reasons why they didn't make a move behind the plate this offseason. I think they'd still hold out some hope for Darno. At this point, I don't hold out that much because it's it's not just the injuries with him now. He hasn't hit for a couple of seasons. So right. I understand mm-hmm. your concerns behind the plate, but I, I, Pulwecki is the guy that excites me that I want to see for at least a couple of months and see what he could do. I hope he becomes the guy. And, and you I, know, I don't so. mean to slight Darno, but I, Pulwecki, I think that he could be solid. Do you think it's a maturity level that maybe it's uh, he's maturing and and – I hope so too. Uh, catcher just takes a while. You know, catcher is a, a demanding position mentally and physically, so it takes guys typically a little longer at that position to figure it out and to put it all together. And you got to walk onto the field and basically be the captain. It's why what position most often becomes a manager is a catcher. And it's not just the fact that you deal with, you know, catcher uh, pitchers and position players, but you got to be a leader out there. You got to set the defense. You got to, you know, have that feel when, you know, the pitcher needs a breather and needs to talk something out. Now this year, you have to keep track of how many times you go out to the mound and really pick your spots, I guess, wisely. So uh, you don't go over the sixth over the course of a game, but there's a lot, to that, calling a game, being part of the game plans, and then worrying about your own offense, that I just think it could be suffocating when you're a young player, and after a couple of years, you start to figure it out, you feel good about what your role is, you're not overthinking everything, and it comes to you, and you hope that's what's happening for Ploiecki. He doesn't need to be an all-star. All he needs to do is be solid behind the plate, handle the pitching staff, and bat eighth. Now, that's what I want to see from the Mets catcher over the course of this season. Maybe seventh, depending on, you know, how Rosario develops. But, uh, you know, that's what you're looking at for the Mets catcher. It doesn't have to be Mike Piazza 2.0 back there. Um, and, and that's why, you know, I want to see what Pulwecki and Darno can do. I think they benefited too that there weren't a whole lot of free agents that were very exciting. I mean, that is a position the Mets could have looked to upgrade. And Jonathan Lucroy wasn't doing it after the kind of season he was coming off. He was terrible last year, both offensively and defensively. And he ended up settling one year, six and a half million dollars with the Oakland Athletics. Uh, but that's because, you know, teams weren't knocking down his door. And, and the Mets, you know, obviously included in that and, and felt more comfortable with, you know, what they have behind the plate right now. Matt in Oakdale. What's up, Matt? Hey, Pete. Thanks for taking the call. Um, I'm just calling to see what you think about the Mets potentially um, jumping on the opportunity to sign Adam Lind. And I'm a little concerned about uh, Adam, Adrian Gonzalez in the clubhouse with some of the issues he had with the Dodgers last year yeah. and some of the clubhouse issues the Mets had last year as well. And uh, Lind, you know, Lind hit 300 and 300 plays appearances and 15 homers. I think platooning him and Flores at first um, could, could be a pretty good two-headed monster based on I think it's better than Gonzalez, but I I don't see the Mets cutting Gonzalez to make a you know slight upgrade over there at first base. I I think that's even even though the contract is so small with Gonzalez, it's a league minimum. Yeah, because I think I don't know you know what kind of handshake agreement they make when they sign a guy like that, or what kind of opportunity they say we're going to give you. But I I think that uh, you cut that guy and you worry about your reputation or, or breaking your word. I mean, in my opinion, I don't think you have to worry about that. You play the best guy. I think Lind is a better first baseman than Adrian Gonzalez. So I would agree with you, but I don't see it happening. I think Adrian Gonzalez is going to get a month to show what he can do at first base, and then they'll worry about it. I think that's the way it's going to play out. And you know what has been surprising to me? We we talked to Nelson Figueroa about Adrian Gonzalez. I, I talked to Ron Darling about Adrian Gonzalez. And maybe it's former players defending a veteran, but... 
both of them seem rather bullish that Adrian Gonzalez is going to be just fine. And this is where it's hard to judge Gonzalez. He's never been, he's never had a meaningful spring training. He hasn't had one since he was 20. So if he's just working through what he typically works through to get ready for the season in, you know, let's say Los Angeles or Boston five years ago, nobody would care what he was doing in spring training. It'd be all right, be ready to go opening day. Here we care because we want to find out if he can still swing it. I'd like to see a home run or two. I want to see a little power from him. I don't know if he could do that anymore. That Then I'll be okay with him. Uh, but, you know, right now, I find him very difficult to judge and just say, well, he can't hit. He doesn't have it. But this is, you know, I don't feel comfortable with that position going into the season. That, that's the number one worry position I have for the Mets, um, you know, going, you know, again, two weeks from opening day. Uh, it's the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR, and your chance to win $1,000 coming up at 8.05.